We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Knicks fans? GMHC here with a quick programming note. What you're about to hear is the first 35 minutes of a lengthy marathon Nick's Look Ahead episode that I did with Dan Favalli, a brilliant writer over at Bleacher Report, as well as a very good friend of mine on his show, Hardwood Knox. This is a preview that hopefully will send all of you to his show, whether it be on YouTube or on his podcast feed. The link to both of them is in the description, whether you want to just go over there and listen to our episode or do the KFS bump and give him a like and a subscribe on both the video and then a rating and a review on his podcast feed. Those things really go a long way. Dan is a person whose work I will personally vouch for, even when he writes the inflammatory Bleacher Report article that makes you all upset. I can at least say it's well-written. I can at least then give him grief in a text conversation afterwards. But regardless, he knows ball. And I think you'll enjoy the first 35 minutes of the lengthy episode that we did. Um, Obviously, we didn't put out a regularly scheduled KFS pod on Friday because this is what your episode's going to be. You can listen to this preview and then head on over to Dan's feed so you can check out the full episode. There's also a lengthy Patreon preview. John and I spent about 20 to 30 minutes talking about Giannis at the beginning of yesterday's Patreon podcast. So if you want to hear the first 25 minutes of that episode, it is available on the Next Film School podcast feed right now. Uh, as well as the Knicks Film School YouTube channel. And then if you want to hear the rest of that Patreon episode, as well as receive an extra KFS podcast a week talking about the uh, NBA at large, head on over to Patreon for just seven bucks a month. You get four extra episodes, uh, one per week, of course. Um, Okay, here is the first part of my conversation with Dan Favalli on his show, Hardwood Knocks. Enjoy and have a good weekend. What is crackalacking, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Favalli coming at you with yet another 2023-2024 NBA team look ahead. And because I actually know when this one is going up, this is the midway point of the look ahead series. Number 15 that I have up before October 1st. So I'm kind of impressed with myself. I'm normally running around like a maniac. I'm still running around like a maniac, but these might all be up in time. We are on to the New York Knicks, which means it's time for Andrew J. Claudio from Knicks Film School, GMAC, as many of you may know him, does a great job doing basically everything over there. He does he does everything. Follow him on the Twitter machine at Andrew J. Claudio underscore. Don't leave out the underscore like I did. It is on the screen. 
It'll be in the YouTube and podcast descriptions, as will the links to where you can subscribe to Nick's Film School. If you're listening to this podcast and have not subscribed to them already, given the number of times that Grant and I hat tipped them, what the fuck, guys? So go do that. Claudio, how are you doing? For Valley, I'm doing great. Can't complain. Um, although, as a football fan, I guess I can because of what happened to my quarterback a little over a week and a half ago. But we are here to talk about the stability of a James Dolan-owned franchise known as the New York Knicks. How about, how do you like them apples? How about that for irony that I'm turning to the Knicks for my safe space where I can't be hurt anymore? The Knicks, this podcast is always fascinating for me because of how I grew up a Knicks fan. Mm -hmm. But they're so steady at the moment. I had trouble with the outline because it was just like, it could have been really short. Like I could have, I could have just sent you like, we could have done this in like seven base questions because they're so continuity has been prioritized there, which is a good thing. So yeah, I mean, let's start with, well, maybe we should start with any recent events. Do you read anything into James Dolan saying he doesn't like owning sports teams or do you read into Julius Randall? I know you guys talked about this on KFS already leaving CAA. The CAA thing is more interesting for me, at least. I don't even know what it's interesting in pertaining to. Like, is it interesting because I think he's going to leave the Knicks? Is it interesting because uh, how closely CAA uh, and the Knicks and their relationship is or how may CAA may run the Knicks, if you believe what's out there? Um, I I just think it's been very obvious uh, who gets a certain type of treatment with the Knicks and it's the CAA clients. The thing about Randall that's fascinating in that sense is like, you need to be one of two things to be in like the cool kids club with the Knicks, a CAA client or a Kentucky grad. So he does still have that going for him. And I wonder if that's enough. Um, He does have ties with the guy that he's going to be working with over at WME. I, I don't think it's as important a relationship as some Knicks fans are making it out to be that that's why he left CAA. Um, the Dolan thing, uh, a, a billionaire gave a quote when he was talking oh, about yeah, was, that was more of a troll question. Right, right, right. I, I, there is, it was a topic of conversation because it's the off season and Knicks fans need to react to everything in the most non nuanced way, shape and form. Um, I, but the, like, Here's that's what we're talking about. Like those are the Nick stories at the moment. Uh, an all star changed representation. The owner has a new building in Vegas that looks like a golf ball, and we're asking him about it. And he was like, "Oh yeah, being a, an owner is kind of annoying." Like that. There's nothing up in the air about how far we've come. Right. Like I'm not worried about whether or not my head coach is liking porn tweets on Twitter or getting in a fight with Matt Barnes or the Charles Oakley getting banned from the garden. Like we've come like David Fisdale bringing an ax to practice. Like we're so far removed from those days that I'm just like, I hope this extension gets done before the season starts. You know? Yeah. I will say I tend not to buy into the I don't think there's a bias against the Knicks and the media. And somehow you and I always stumble into this, but I am. I think people actually appreciate this sentiment that normally probably hate listening to me talk about the Knicks. I did see there was the clip going around. I forget from which podcast, but the way someone was talking about the Knicks and their concerns was just like, okay, like it's you, we can make fun of the past and we can even make fun of like maybe the structure a little bit of this front office, but like 
they have for the most part proven that they are not incompetent. Right. And so like the way that it was being discussed was that the Knicks have all this instability and what's going on with Dolan. And can you trust their, their front office? And it's just like, even the Julius Randall discourse makes me a little uneasy because I, there are concerns, real valid concerns about Julius Randall. You don't make two all NBA teams by accident. And so it's, we can talk about how tough his fit would be with other teams. So it's great to see how far the Knicks have come where we're coming up on October. We're not talking about a potential like mega trade, Mm -hmm. even though like the theories will be out there, but it's not like, Oh fuck. Like the Knicks should have went after they didn't give up enough to go get Donovan Mitchell. So I enjoy kind of just like this stability element because it allows you to focus more on the team that's there. And like those concerns and those fits, even if you're not super high on them, like let's talk about that. Let's do it. My first, my first question though, I think we do have to start with last season and I do find it an instructive exercise when like mega things happened in the playoffs and the dust settles. How much did you read into the circumstances of how they lost to the heat? Was there anything leading into the off season that really stuck with you the most that maybe even still harping on leading into this season? So when you sent me this question, I, I, I was fascinated by how you worded it with the circumstances of their loss to the heat. I got to be honest when the dust settled and I, I really looked at last season and I think this has been a common thing with a lot of us over at Nick's film school. I man, I think the Knicks can hold their head high that they're the East team that gave the heat the most trouble. And I know like you don't want to claim a moral victory and that's kind of cliche, but for a franchise that hasn't claimed a lot of victories period over the last few decades, I think I'm going to claim that moral victory. Especially and- with the criticism that they received from this podcast. We did our, they haven't caught up yet, but we did our regrades for mm-hmm. like last off season and revisit what we said. Some of the shit that I said about the Jalen Brunson uh, acquisition, nothing. I want to make nothing to do with the contract. That's mm-hmm. what everyone goes to. Like they thought, he, no, I was all about the machinations and what I thought it said about their vision. I missed like you absolutely celebrate. What was there? We, we both smashed the over. Cause it wasn't there over under like 37 or something. It got last. down to 37 by, by opening night. Yeah. And they had so, 47 yeah, that's not a moral victory. Year. They obliterated X. They won a playoff series against a team. I picked the Cavs to beat them. And did I pick the Knicks? Because I did my, whatever. No, was, you picked the Cavs. I remember. I did Cavs in six. I think I probably wanted Cavs in seven. You won a playoff series against a team that, I didn't go. I don't have receipts, but I would argue most people pick Cleveland to win that series. They the Cleveland was favored to win the series too, which is why it wasn't a crazy thing when you were leading up during our series preview with a lot of people saying that the Cavs were going to win. Um, even more so, like all the research we did on the Cavs last year leading up to that series was like, oh, this is a really good basketball team, you know. And it's why, like, I was talking to John the eve of the first playoff game. And we were both saying, like, why are we not more excited about this series? And we both came to the conclusions because every single thing that we read about the Cavs and research the Cavs, it's like, oh, they're like, they're probably going to win this series. They're really good. And to see the way the Knicks thoroughly dominated them, like you have Mitchell and Allen and these introspective quotes that are out there of like, Am I, am I tough enough? Did I not meet the bright lights of the playoffs in New York City with the right frame of mind. And look, that might just be like a young player getting his first taste of playoff basketball, not Mitchell, but like Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and, and these guys that have never been in this situation. And like the Knicks rose to the occasion. And I, I remember the night that they clinched or they beat the the Cavs. They won the series in five. 
you had to sit there and be like, it's house money from here. If you had them winning a playoff series, not even just any playoff series, but the Donovan Mitchell Bull, they're the team that didn't trade for him and then beat him in a five game series. Like the rest has to be house money. And for as much as the Heat showed up to the playoffs as an eighth seed that has struggled most of the year. And if you wanted to discount like what they had accomplished, like almost lost in the play in, like we forget they're like three minutes away and a couple of Max Drews threes away from losing to the Bulls in that fourth quarter. Um, Look, if, if DeMar the, allowed DR DeRozan to come to that game, we might be talking about a completely different. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you never know. Maybe the Knicks are in the conference finals and then it's a whole different story. Um, but like, I thought that was a different Miami Heat team that at a certain point, like because they've been there, they're able to um, rely on their experience. I, I wasn't disappointed, but I was annoyed that they lost the series. I was like sad that the season was over, but I had a lot of respect for that Heat team, especially when they went up 3-0 on Boston, especially when they ended up beating Boston. And then through two games of that Nugget series, it was like, are they going to do this again? And then, you know, the basketball gods finally decided that they weren't going to shoot 40% from three in every series. Um, but yeah, I, I leave last season with so many more positives and negatives, including what ended up being their downfall in that series against the Heat. I think the challenge of having a season like that, and that's why I phrased the question this way, is now you have to progress forward. And I think a lot of people struggle to understand that growth isn't linear. Like the Knicks could technically have a worse record, but maybe be a better basketball team. Like maybe you, maybe you just trust their half court offense more outside of getting rebounds type deal, or like Jalen Brunson having to ISO his way to, you know, the 30 points or whatever. Um, And I received a lot of criticism from, an unflattering subset of Nick's Twitter earlier this offseason because I said if I had to bet against them being better or worse, it would be worse because I don't think that they solved some of their biggest issues in part because I don't think this offseason was set up to solve some of their biggest issues. And I think a, a lot of people, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, but when you're giving the analysis of, oh, this Nick's offseason wasn't very splashy, uh, it could it wasn't supposed to be like it just wasn't set up to be. And so do you like, what do you make of their offseason relative to that? Where a lot of people like, oh, they should be more aggressive on the trade front versus no, that's separate from what reality is. Like, this is what they were able to do. So just what were your general impressions of how they did this offseason overall? I don't understand anybody that says they needed to be more aggressive. I don't see the move that's out there that they needed to make. This isn't really a buyer's market at the moment. Um, unless you were all in on Dame and all in on a James Harden trade at this point, there wasn't an obvious trade to make for the Knicks for, for what their needs are. Like you said, any issues that they may have on the roster, were not going to be solved. Um, the OB situation needed to be resolved. Uh, they did. Uh, they needed more shooting and they got a guy that I think is going to at least incrementally in, improve their shooting. Uh, they solved two of their I issues. Told me off air. You said, I think the words you used were second coming of Steph Curry. I did. You see, the, see, the things you say off the record are supposed to stay off the record. Dan. That's why I've never been a cap, capital J journalist. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, I think they're in pole position, pole position uh, when it becomes a buyer's market again. And like there was conversations that we were here. So it's funny. We heard that they were having conversations. They were interested in OG and Anobi, and that there was some Knicks Raptors talk. 
And then what news came out of the Knicks and Raptors that the Knicks are suing the Raptors in civil court. So I don't know if that takes that off the table or not, but um, as far as I'm concerned, I was satisfied with the Knicks off season. I thought they got better this off season. I don't know how much better, but um, I, I like the options that this, this current roster was going to uh, now have going into this season. And the truth of the matter is, like the big move that they made the, this offseason happened at last year's deadline and getting Josh Hart. And they've just, they've hit a whole different ceiling with him on the roster and could do so many different things with him on the team. And I, I'm all in on this, uh, Knicks Villanova version that, uh, uh, that they rode to a lot of success last season. I would argue the biggest move of the offseason was actually Josh Hart's like you up tweet to Mikael Bridges or whatever. <laughs> I think that was the most important move of the of the offseason. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that the Nets and the Knicks haven't made a trade with each other since Reagan was running for re-election, um, I'd be all in on like get the we're one away. Like they got Archie Diacono on an exhibit 10. So we're just we're one away. Like what's a net, <laughs> what's a Nets Knicks trade to make it happen? And it's just it's not happening. Like he's gonna have to go to another team that then also doesn't want him, and then he'll go to the Knicks. But uh, for now, we'll settle for RJ Barrett. You know. So, do you think Dante Divincenzo provides enough shooting and movement to really jazz up this offense? So there's two different questions there. The shooting. I think he does. If if it's simply that he's taking all of Obi Toppin's three point attempts, and I have it here, like last season, Divincenzo shot thirty nine percent overall, thirty nine point seven from three, forty three percent from the corners, and it's forty percent in one corner, forty eight percent in the other. And ironically, that forty eight percent is the highest in the league from that that spot, that corner. The opposite three-point corner, the Knicks have Quentin Grimes, who shot 47%. So they have the two guys that shot the highest percentage from both corners last year, which I think can come in handy when you have them probably interchanging with each other um, on the court at all times. The simple adjustment of every OB corner three that he probably shouldn't have been taking in the first place is now going to be taken by a guy that's good from the corners. It, It makes the team better. It is a a version of the Knicks that I can get behind. Um, not for nothing, but he might take some of Josh Hart's threes next season. Um, and does Josh, Josh Hart, does Josh Hart have threes that you can. So take? like, <laughs> that's the thing he was taken to a game and there'd be like a couple games where he'd take five. Like uh, here's the other part. Maybe Josh Hart taking some of Obi Toppin's threes from last season as now your backup four slowly makes them have more shooting in as a result of the adjustment of him moving into the backup four role. Um, that's the shooting side of it. The movement. I mean, that means to be seen. Um, oh, really? I, that's the, sorry to interrupt. That's the that's one. I'm just, actually more, more that's the conversation in. about, that's the conversation yeah. about Tibbs and about the offense. Like it was. Oh, the great, great point. Yeah. I was, I'm looking at the player. The answer is Yes. But will he be allowed to provide the movement that we're probably that's a, okay. That's fair. it's that's like fair. it's the million dollar question. The Knicks had an outstanding offensive rating last year. It played to their strengths the way that they play this penetrate, get to the rim. Everybody crashed the boards, ton of isolation. It's a read and react offense. It's why I think they went and got another corner boy in Dante DiVincenzo, because if you drive and two guys collapse, the corners will be open. 
And for half the season, they were learning the offense. You'd have RJ with tunnel vision. You'd have Julius with tunnel vision. You'd have Jalen Brunson at time with tunnel vision. And as the season went along, they started to find the corners. Um, I'm curious if a summer around Steve Kerr and Eric Spolstra for Tom Thibodeau inspired the thought of more ball movement and some more screening and more pick and roll. I, I'm not as optimistic as maybe some that they're going to change up too much because I do think the strength of this team is still its physicality and they're, they're taking advantage of the offensive boards. But I could be wrong. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe the old dog can learn some new tricks. Um, that, I mean, to, to relay all this to DiVincenzo, like, I do think he can add that element. I'm just, it remains to be seen if he will be adding that new element. I think my concern is when you look at what they, and again, I want to reiterate that I don't think this is out there. I don't think it's bad that they signed Dante DiVincenzo. I think he is a intriguing fit, if not a good fit. But this idea that he kind of fills the role, which I, I saw floating around, which is why it's a concern that he's some caps lock, higher volume shooter. That's not like what he's historically been. He's at, I think him being around like eight, three point attempts per 36 minutes the past few years, that is great volume. You mentioned the corners. I think that's great. Corner three point attempts are still at the Knicks like peak. That's still only 12% of their shots coming from the offense. And Dante DiVincenzo specifically, yes, been good from the corners. He's also only shot overall, like part of really space in the floor is like, can you hit those above the breaks? He's been shaky above the break up and down throughout his career. He's only shot better than uh, like 36% on catch and shoot threes twice in his career. And look, he had at basically every stop. Sacramento was weird. It was post injury that era in Sacramento, what was happening, Like he's had great guys like looking at Milwaukee spoon feeding him. And so it's not like, Oh, he gets to play with Jalen Brunson. Now this is fine. So I think he's a good fit. I'm just curious whether we see what the Knicks need most. Like, does he nudge it enough to where we see a material difference? Because it might be a different type of player that they need. And again, that player wasn't out there. So go ahead and take, get Dante DiVincenzo. I'm perfectly fine with that. I'm just concerned that the expectations for his impact are being set a little too high or maybe being divorced a little bit from what they will be in reality. So I'm not sure... I hope I'm not projecting that I think not he's you going specifically, to. except for your Steph Curry comment. Off well, the air. I mean, you you see greatness, you recognize it, you acknowledge it, Dan. Um, I I think they're going to be better. Like it's it's not. I don't think they're going to be one of the best. I just uh, he's going to take all of Obi Toppin's three pointers from last year. Obi Toppin came into this league after shooting 102 three pointers in college and was told like go corner to corner. Like that's what we're asking you. Like he did also shoot above the break threes too and had one stretch where he was shooting 37% for like two months and then regressed back to what he probably is, which is a guy that should be taking two to three threes a game while running rim to rim and releasing on the break and getting easy buckets that way instead uh, and take advantage of his vertical spacing rather than his on-court spacing. Um, I think DiVincenzo uh, in that role and then just being able to go Josh Hart at the four rather than Obi at the four will just it'll fit a lot better and especially we have no idea what RJ is going to be this year um <laughs> so it's just I, like every year it's just like it's, it's a it. thing like if RJ's not hitting his threes then he and Hart end up being like it becomes even more important for you to have another shooter out there because teams just went zone against the Knicks second unit so many times I mean shit they went 
zone against their first unit so many times. <laughs> and so it was very easy to find ways to stop them. And I think DiVincenzo adds an element that can that can help break those zones whenever they get stuck facing one. Hey there, Knicks fans. It's your boy, Jonathan Macri. You've been hearing me talk about Barry and his team over at the law offices of Weiss and Rosenblum for almost a year now. It's a partnership I'm very proud to be a part of because as a former personal injury attorney myself and a Knicks fan, I know the difference that a great legal team can make. Barry has been at this for over 35 years and has informed me that since the 2023 Knicks season ended, he has resolved cases in the amounts of 1.4, 1.5, 1.75, and $3.75 million, as well as obtaining winning results on many less significant cases. Just like the great basketball franchises, Weiss and Rosenblum's long track record of sustained excellent results speak for themselves. Visit them at weissandrosenblum.com today and explore for yourself, or better yet, give Barry a call at 212 212- 366-6100, where he will offer a consultation on your possible matter completely free of charge, as well as chat about the upcoming Knicks season as he has been a rabid fan for over 50 years. You know the tagline. If you think you might have a case, talk to a veteran attorney, not a rookie. No case is too big or too small. That number again is 212-366-6100. Previous results do not guarantee future outcomes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is there, like, should we bank on there being more three-point volume from Josh Hart this year? Because I'm a very big believer in in the volume itself, forget about the percentages for a second. Defenses defend you differently when they know that you're not actively avoiding that shot. And Josh mm-hmm. Hart, at times, you mentioned there were stretches where he didn't. In Portland, we saw it in New Orleans a little bit. Definitely saw it in New York. Like He actively avoids taking three-pointers for these long stretches. So, it's funny. When he first got to New York, he said that one of the first things Tibbs said to him was you've got the green light, like let it fly. You take as many threes as they'll give you. And for a while, it seemed like he found like a niche and he's actually shot pretty well from three when he first became a Nick. And it was, I don't think this will last long, but like, well, we'll ride this for as long as we can. And the volume went down. And then the first round series against the Cavs, he shot really well from three. And then the heat series happened and what you're talking about and how the heat guarded him and said, we'll just, if Josh Hart beats us from three, then Josh Hart beat us from three. And in game two, we did. And then by game three, when Josh Hart was having offers from, from three between game one and game three, 
The Knicks finally went back to their starting lineup that worked for most of the year with Quentin Grimes, and it was too late at that point to to save the season. Um, and it's why I, because he's coming in as your backup four, I don't see his the need for his three point volume to go up as much. If he was still playing your traditional your traditional three or two, whichever lineups he was going to play, maybe, but he can kind of be like the Draymond role to an extent, although Draymond, Draymond next to Looney, um, it doesn't have the most amount of spacing, but like, because Hart's going to play the backup four, I think he can, he can get away with his one to two, three pointers a game or even fewer. And as of right now, I'm not as concerned about his volume going up. I will take the other round. Just I want to see it go up. Like I would like to see it double. Like just to for, four. Just to, yeah, and I think it's a testament. I do think it's a testament to the fact what you're saying. What he does as a defender, as sort of a pace setter, ball mover for this team, that you're comfortable with him taking one and a half, two attempts per game because you know how much value he's providing elsewhere. I just think there is. I'm not even talking about makes. And like, I mean, he did shoot. What was he at last year when he was with the Knicks? Like 51% from three. Yeah. Which so again, like, I'm not, I'm not sold on that being a realistic no, thing for him to keep over a season, you know? So I would like to see it um, go up. I'm just curious to see whether it, it will. He remains incredibly important to the team either way. I think the extension, by the way, was fine, especially when mm-hmm. it's reviewed against the cap going up. It's kind of tacked onto his current deal. He's never going to be making more than 12% of the cap. So I'm just fascinated because like they've kind of leaned into these guys who like without having these, unless you're going to play Evan Fournier a bunch of minutes, like you just don't have a ton of guys that are going to come in and just get you a bunch of looks from three or get off a bunch of looks from three. First of all, I guess what's not going to happen that um, playing Evan Fournier a bunch of minutes. Um, I think it's important for him to get his volume up. And this may be the case. Um, if Tibbs is determined to play him next to RJ and Mitch in consistent stretches. Um, because this is, this is like my biggest criticism of Tibbs. Like the RJ Josh Hart lineup cannot, it can't happen. Like it just, it cannot, it's a thing that just did not work last season when Hart came over. I've got some lineup data that I went and got. So if you've got RJ and Hart and Mitch together in 90 minutes last year was a negative 18.4 net rating. What was the offensive rating on that? Probably sub 100. Under 100. Under 100. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it was really, really bad. But when you switch out Mitch for uh, Isaiah Hardenstein, who's not always in the dunker spot. um, So this allows RJ and Hart to either get to the rim or maybe you have to honor their three-point shooting. Um, It's a plus 11. Then you add Quentin Grimes to that lineup and it's plus now this is this is an 18 minutes we're talking about but it's a plus 29 and a half then you add uh ja, you add how do i have this rj I, I emmanuel quickly to that and it's plus 25 like i'm solely looking at the bench units here because that's what we're we're talking about is when emmanuel quickly is on with the two of them when uh, Quentin Grimes, you might play some backup minutes or basically if you swap out Quentin Grimes or Dante DiVincenzo, uh, it works in that same type of format. And then if you take Mitch out, who is like four to six feet away from the rim at all times, then you know, you, you the rim might be open a bit. They ran the offense with with uh, Isaiah Hartenstein at the, at the three-point line or the foul line extended from time to time last year. So you were able to see what this team looks like when the rim is open. Open for Josh Hart, for Manuel Quickly, for RJ Barrett. 
Um, and I think the Josh Hart volume on threes can stay where it's at if you're playing him in the right lineups. If you've got Mitch and RJ, and especially Julius out there, then yeah, he's he's your other shooter. Like teams are going to play zone and it's like, okay, like it's Jalen Brunson has to take contested threes or RJ, one of RJ, Julius, or Josh Hart are going to have to take threes. So it's, it's my biggest criticism of Tibbs is to put the lineups with spacing out there or with shooting out there. And the biggest thing you can do is to split up RJ and Josh Hart minutes as much as you po- humanly possibly can. Emmanuel, quickly, I feel like there's so much to talk about with him. Mm. Let's begin with actually last season. What impressed you the most about his development? Maybe even something that was missed because he did enter sort of the national lexicon at some point last year when he really started to take off. Um, maybe that flew under the radar about his development. So, like, it's like you just hit on it. Like, it's tough to say that someone that finished second in sixth man of the year didn't receive enough recognition. Um, even if I thought he should have finished first in sixth man of the year, not that I'm rehashing old arguments with Dan Valley, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I also would suggest that maybe the right player won sixth man of the year. Um, that seems as if the availability of Malcolm Brogdon was as much of a deficiency during the regular season as it was during the playoffs, Dan Favalli. Um, uh, the although, Clippers agree. The Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> um, Look, I think he finally got the opportunity when they went to a nine-man rotation to just show like what he can do if given the opportunity. And like his his per 36 numbers were around the same uh when he finally started to get the the rotation minutes. Um when they when they took Fournier out, when they took Cam Reddish out, when they took Derrick Rose out, and just said quickly, you're the backup point guard. At times you're gonna play next to Jalen Brunson and he really showed some off-ball defense, and it, it goes. The underrated part is his def- is his rebounding. Like he was an outstanding defensive rebounder um, for for long stretches last year. In fact, he got hurt in the playoffs in Game Three against the Heat, and then in Game Four when he wasn't there, the Heat got like eleven offensive rebounds because he was always getting to the line. Like that's a that's a Tibbs principle is he preaches to his guards get to the free throw line on on three point attempts, and they. The, the Heat were doing that, like beating them at their own game all throughout the uh, game four and the rest of the series. Um, so I, I, I have so many good things to say about Manuel quickly. Also, uh, it's, it's a bit of a cherry picked stat, but I looked this up um, on the offensive end uh, of there were only 39 players last year that shot at least uh, 453s and 452s. Um, there are only 39 players that did both of those last year. And Emmanuel quickly grades out at about the top 15 in uh, efficiency. It's about, it's around the exact same spot as Jason Tatum. I'm not saying Emmanuel quickly is Jason Tatum. I'm saying on that type of shot diet, he was pretty damn efficient. And, you know, from a sixth man perspective, uh, I think getting that type of impact, that type of value in that spot is partly why they were able to, uh, be kind of fine when Jalen Brunson wasn't on the floor. This wasn't just like Jalen Brunson carried the Knicks to the five seed and 47 wins. Like they had a lot of depth on this team and coming from impactful places lower down the roster. Also a friendly reminder, even as someone who did not pick him to win sixth man of the year, that filling in in the starting lineup when there are injuries is part of being the sixth man. That is part that's of right. the body of work. So that's right. Uh, I was very impressed during the regular season, at least with his live dribble decision making, I thought came a long way. And then the defense, like you said, the playoffs, however, were like pretty disastrous for him. 
has it did they change how you view him at all what is the was it the ball handling that worried you the most was it him just like felt like he was being knocked off his spots or not getting to his spots was it just what do you take away from his playoff campaign yeah, uh, deer in headlights has been the the perfect description. Uh, Him to, and Evan Mobley both apparently. So there you go. Man, I it's a tough part about the postseason for me is that I I love the playoff win and getting past the Cavs and you know even the two wins against the Heat were pretty fun and the Garden was amazing and I don't get to celebrate any of it with Emmanuel quickly or his success. He did have some moments in the Cavs series, like games three and game four. He was on was the court. Game, what was the garbage time game? He got like 10 of his 12 points. Or was that game three? I can't remember what that so was. So that might've been, that might've been game three of the heat series when oh, okay, he came in for garbage time. Uh, point being the way I'm, I'm trying to compartmentalize his season is that like the 82 game sample is the more impressive thing. The playoffs are absolutely disappointing. Jalen Brunson in his first playoffs with the Mavericks uh, was so disastrous that he was losing minutes to Trey Burke by game seven. So um, Rome wasn't built in a day. Certain young players take playoff failures early on in their career and they turn it into uh, making them better and making them more successful. And if there's one thing that Emmanuel quickly has shown Knicks fans over the years. It's that he's going to take every learning experience he can to get better. Uh, and I'm trusting that he'll do that this offseason. I do think because the playoffs matter just a ton, especially with an aspiration, the, the aspirations that the Knicks have. What is it like? How does it impact how you view a potential extension that I think we all do expect? I would probably bet on it getting done um, rather than not getting done. Is there like, what is the the number, like the highest number that you're like, okay, like this is fine. Because when we had this podcast, well, not, I don't know if it was this podcast, but you and I are podcasting sometime last season. I think we came up with like 110 million. Yeah. We would have been okay with. Is that still the number? Has that changed at all for you? I'm hoping they can settle around four for 90. I would go to four, one Oh four. Um, puts him in the ballpark of RJ Brunson, Randall. The they they've done a good job of. There's no clear alpha contract wise on this team. Um, look, I think you can heal a lot of any potential uh, issues with the the minutes that are going to be distributed this year. Um, I think Josh Hart's going to play a lot of crunch time this year, and. As a result, that really leaves one rotation spot or one uh, a court spot for four people between DiVincenzo, Grimes, RJ, and Quickly. And if Quickly's like approaching restricted free agency, that could lead to some issues in the locker room. And I think all of that goes away if you just pay him like a starter. And if you pay him four one zero four, which as every single NBA podcast out there acknowledges, with the cap going up that contract's going to look fine, especially if the team trades for him and wants to start him. So um, I'm, I'm at 4104, maybe put incentives in there. And so it's a 490 that can get to 104. Uh, he's just, he's such an important piece to what they're going to need to be this year. Like God forbid Jalen Brunson gets hurt. Here's Emmanuel quickly. He can be your backup point guard for however long he's out. And while there is a drop off in my mind, it's not enough of a drop-off that he still can't help you win games. 
I think I'd probably be fine with that number, but I do think, again, I think it's more of a negotiation now just because of how the playoffs unfold. And it seems like kind of unfair to read into such a small sample size, but it's such an important like time of the year. Like it's such an important sample size that I do think it becomes more of a negotiation based off what just happened. Dan, if he had had a good playoffs, like if they had gotten to the conference finals and quickly had a couple games where it's like, oh, they had a quickly game. I think we're talking 4-120. Like that's how good he was last season. And then what the playoffs might have potentially cost him. Um, I think they're, they probably started at four for 80 or four for 84. Um, and they, they, uh, you've heard the, I'm sure you've read the, the stuff about how he wants four, he wants nine figures, which is why I said, like, if he's, if there's any potential uh, dysfunction or uh, dissension in the locker room that could come from his camp because he's losing minutes and is reproaching free agency, restricted free agency. The way you avoid that is to just pay him like a starter. And the, it, he can play a 16 minutes one game because RJ's going off, or you want to close with DiVincenzo or Grimes. And it's like, okay, like it's fine. I, I, I got paid. Like there's, there's no issues here uh, anymore. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.